Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. We are less than one month out from WWE WrestleMania 38. So the Silver King and Vintage Chris Benini are here to break down another week of WWE TV that I have to say pretty much delivered, uh, especially compared to a couple of the weeks we've had recently where I've criticized the booking and storytelling on the road to WrestleMania. It didn't really feel like WrestleMania season this past week in WWE, at least as far as I'm concerned, actually felt like WrestleMania season. We have an absolute ton to talk talk about on today's show. We have title changes, big names, an interview, Vince McMahon's first live sit-down interview in 15 years. We're going to get to all of it on today's show, but you guys know I would be remiss if I began any episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, forgetting to remind you that this show is So please stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for Getting Over. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating for this show on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know why you like listening and why they should subscribe. And we will read all five-star reviews on this podcast. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Now, Chris, you and I, we both have an extremely busy day today. We're not rushing the show, but we are, we do want to be expeditious as we go through things today because, look, there's a lot to talk about in the world of WWE. But off the top, I want to know if you agree with you know, the hypothesis, I guess, is maybe it's not really a hypothesis. The statement I made off the top of the show, did you feel like this week, at least for me, it was the first time it really felt like the Rhodes WrestleMania, WrestleMania season business picked up? Yeah, to an extent, because they they kept talking about, you know, people got to you got to win your way into WrestleMania at this point. And this was a concern we had coming out of Elimination Chamber was how is WWE going to fill out shows when the Roman Brock story is told? You you need to figure out, you got to build that mid card, build up these other matches. Are they going to be able to do it without anchoring a show around those two big names? And this weekend or th- this week, this last SmackDown Raw, they did. It was it was a very good episode of Raw with, with yes. no presence essentially from them. SmackDown has been bad for a bit it was a decent episode this mm-hmm. time around so yeah WWE tv back in the right direction right now raw raw was bookended exceptionally strong the middle yeah it did go down a little bit but it's a three-hour show like right. you're never going to get a three-hour boiling hot raw it's just not going to happen it's too long and they're they're not stacked enough roster wise but yes monday night i was watching raw and i was like man this first hour flew by and the last hour went pretty quick too so yeah i was just pretty impressed with the product uh, that we got this week from WWE. And and look, you know, we criticize plenty, but credit where it's deserved on occasion. Like I said, mm-hmm. I don't really want to waste much time here, Chris, on this show. We're not even five minutes into this edition of Getting Over. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to slide into the main event. And we got like, I, I don't know, it's like a four or five part main event today. That's, that does not happen here on Getting Over. And we're actually going to start for the first time ever with Rick Boogs. Why are we starting with Rick Boogs? Well, because uh, Boogs had a really hot introduction 
of Shinsuke Nakamura. And just as both of them were walking to the ring, the Usos attacked and took them out. And I'm thinking, do not tell me this is another WrestleMania storyline that makes zero sense. But the actions did make sense because what they were doing was clearing a path for Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman to make their entrance. Reigns said he will go and retain the championship, the Universal Championship, at Madison Square Garden on that house show they had been promoting. But not everyone wants Brock Lesnar to retain. Reigns said he hopes Lesnar does retain so he can hand deliver him the WWE Championship. Reigns called himself Babe Ruth. So he said he's going to call a shot just like last year and give one of Heyman's, not predictions, but a spoiler, Reigns guaranteed he would smash, pin, and stand over Lesnar with both titles while $5 million in pyro goes off. Then he said Lesnar would have no choice but to acknowledge him, and he started screaming, me, 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 before repeating, Lesnar would have no choice but to acknowledge him. I, I didn't think this this was that notable when you're talking about a main event storyline on your A show, but I was so impressed with Reigns' command of the microphone and his total command of the crowd throughout this promo. I tweeted about when WWE really threw him into the deep end. He did that improv promo segment with John Cena a few years ago for like a one-off B pay-per-view. They ended up fighting, but they did that whole feud. No mercy. Was it no mercy? Yeah, it was no mercy. Yep. And you look at that and then preceding that, not that long before, the suffering succotash promo that he cut. And now you look at Roman Reigns now, and we know he's been cutting great promos for the better part of two years. But Friday night, it was such a stark difference seeing how confident and cocky this guy has become on the stick. It was totally impressive. And now he's getting into this mind frame where his character is actually changing. At one point, it was love me, praise me, all this type of stuff. Now it's almost psychotic that he's getting this way. So I just loved the character work we got from Roman Reigns on SmackDown. And while it wasn't exciting and Brock Lesnar didn't show up, it was a worthy moment on the fifth to last SmackDown ahead of WrestleMania. He, he's taken the character to another spot that we haven't seen before. And that's a credit to him because this character has been going on for, shoot, year and a half now. And it, it, he's always been the calm, confident, cocky, guy that's what he was when he had the second go around with cena back in the summer mm-hmm. it, it it was not the same roman we saw before but ever since brock has come back and whenever he's been in a situation with brock you you can sense his uh lack of confidence essentially and he lashes out in anger at the crowd at whoever at, at the notion that he's not better than brock lesnar and, and, and that's just been a great little addition to the character. And now knowing that we have the biggest match ever between these two coming up, it, it's just it's all coming out in his promos now. The Friday, you know, the, the Madison Square Garden thing that happened the next day. Uh, he has taken this to a, another spot. I, it's been great to see he's really in control of what he's doing. And it was, it was a good spot. Well, let's get right to that. What happened at Madison Square Garden. So, you know, they booked... Brock Lesnar in a WWE title defense in the main event. And it was promoted at first as Bobby Lashley, if he could be cleared. It was obvious to everyone um, that he wouldn't be cleared. But, you know, you have to remember the crowds going to these house shows, they're not necessarily all on the IWC and and paying attention to all the inside news. So, you know, they thought there were going to be two big title matches with Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. And initially, 
they had announced Seth Rollins as Roman Reigns' opponent. Then they chose not to announce that. And then Rollins became his opponent anyway, and it was a really short match, and I don't think fans were thrilled. And then we get to the main event. And don't forget the way this was promoted on TV. Heyman said, it's going to be Lashley, and if it's not Lashley, it's going to be someone who is going to take the title off of you, basically someone of that caliber. And when you looked around the roster, you're like, well, who? There's, there's no one on the roster, you know, really that that fits that bill. I thought maybe Bill Goldberg would come in um, just to do a one-off, you know, and Brock would beat him and it wouldn't matter. But the title match ended up, the main event of Madison Square Garden ended up being against Austin Theory. <laughs> and that is a piece of shit booking by WWE for such a big show. Now, the crowd was upset in the moment and I wasn't even there, but like I was on the computer, like refreshing the hashtag, trying to see, well, what the hell is it going to be? You know, is it something I need to pay attention to for the show? I see Theory and I'm like, you know, clearly there was going to be a post-match angle. I guess what WWE thought is that the post-match angle would be the main event because it would be Lesnar and Reigns going at each other. So if that was their thought process, like, I guess I understand it. But, you know, WWE and Madison Square Garden is the company's number one house show every year. And their last couple, the crowd hasn't been packed, not as packed as it used to be. And the cards have been pretty shitty. So I don't know what's going on, but WWE, I mean, their last good event at MSG was at SmackDown, that one-off SmackDown that was super fun. But these house shows are really failing. And and I'm not saying that WWE is going to lose that market. MSG is their home. Like, they'll be fine historically. But they really need to figure out a way to make these shows more exciting for the fans. People aren't going to go. The tickets are super expensive for New York City. And if you're telling me I'm going to pay all that money to ultimately see Brock Lesnar, Austin Theory, guess what? I'm not paying that money. Anyway, as far as what happened here. Well, and real real quick, I saw a comment from, from Meltzer on Twitter week or so back i don't know exactly what time period he was pointing at but he said this was on pace to be one of the least attended msg shows they'd ever had until i think they added brock and ronda rousey to the card or something like that so it, right. it's and definitely, they sold a lot after that yeah yeah so it's definitely a concerning issue going forward it is yeah so the bloodline attacked after the match lesnar got up on all of them he german suplexed all three Heyman tried to use a chair but block corner brock cornered him Reigns delivered five chair shots, steel steps to the face, and a urinagi onto the steps as he stood over a busted open Lesnar. He was bleeding, holding both titles above his head. And I guess the idea is, like I said, the post-match attack was the main event of the show, but it was also what Roman Reigns predicted Friday night. So he said, he's going to stand over you with both titles and you're going to acknowledge me. And that's basically what they did in the situation. He smashed him. He didn't pin him, but he did everything else. So... You know, I think it was ultimately one of the best things they've actually done to sell the WrestleMania match. But the problem Mm -hmm. is it was at Madison Square Garden, not on TV and Mm -hmm. seeing a video package of it on Raw and presumably again on SmackDown. And I'm sure it'll be part of the overall video package for WrestleMania. It's not really the same as seeing it happen live, like watching it unfold on SmackDown. Right. Nope. Also, Chris, I mean, it's it's a legitimate question. Did they telegraph? The outcome at Mania, is it going to be the opposite of this? Look, there's four. There's still four SmackDowns left until the big show. So the go-home moment could very easily be Lesnar coming out on top. And then you and I would say, okay, well, of course, the opposite is going to be Reigns winning. And that's what WWE always does. But for Reigns to have such a dominant moment like this, 
said to me like, man, maybe Lesnar is going to be the one coming out on top. The only occasion I can remember where someone had a moment like this and still won the WrestleMania match was Drew McIntyre, where he hit those like three Claymores on Lesnar. He looked like an absolute monster a month before the show and then went into WrestleMania and beat Lesnar and obviously won the title. I just don't really know where they're going to go from here, given that Reigns has now beat the shit out of him. I guess Lesnar can beat the shit out of Reigns one time. But what else is left with four weeks? I, I don't really know. I just think it's too early. I, I, I don't think we really know. And I don't think we can make a point about kind of the go home until it's legitimately the go home. So right. I just I, I got to wait. I have to assume Brock will have. I got to think we're going to have some Brock beat down of Roman sometime in the next week, whether it's on a SmackDown or Raw, just as payback. And then they're even up and then then we'll see that. I mean, that would get more heat on it. Like Brock just got his ass kicked. He can't wait for it's, Brock Lesnar's not going to wait four weeks to get to him. So, you, you know, he's going to be coming after Roman pretty soon here. So um, I, I, I'm just I'm still kind of TBD on that, I think. For sure. And uh, there's really not much else to talk about this. I mean, this is the number one thing for WrestleMania, and that's what we got you know, this week coming in. So let's move on to the second part of the main event, Chris, which is a very extended um, segment here where it includes what may well be the best match on WWE TV in 2022. Definitely was the best match on WWE TV so far, along with questions about WrestleMania plans for two of the biggest stars in the company. So let's get to it. Raw opened up with the Raw Tag Team Championship Triple Threat Match, Alpha Academy defending against RK-Bro and the team of Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens. Rollins and Owens opened the show saying they've been getting screwed over all year, would win the titles, book their tickets to WrestleMania. KO talked about how undeniable their success would be, and he used that word undeniable about six times. The Academy got their entrance. Uh, It now begins with Chad Gable's shoosh as part of the theme. RK Bro then said they would win by any means necessary, and Randy Orton got crazy passionate about it backstage. I thought it was a really strong booking to start the show. The promos were all solid. The only gripe I had is it kicked off the show, but the bell for the match didn't ring until 18 minutes into Raw. (laughs) So we got these three promos, and they're hyping it up, and I'm thinking to myself, there is no way this match lives up to these promos. How wrong I would be, Chris. Yeah, the promos were great. There was a lot of just passion in there. And that this is going to be a theme from Raw, mm-hmm. is that a lot of the promos that they had, they were just like angry, passionate, I want to win. Like, it, it wasn't this normal, like, sarcastic type of stuff we get. It was just like, fired up. Randy Orton, like you said, Randy Orton was fired the fuck up for this match. And it got me excited. We don't, we don't see that type of stuff from Randy. And we got it after the match, too. Uh, so yeah, I was excited going into this. I thought it was a great way to kick it off, uh, kick off the show. And, and yeah, it, it took a while to get there, but the promos that got us there were good. So I, I was okay with it. It didn't feel like a drag. It didn't feel like a drag. I agree. I was okay with it. And the fact that they went to a commercial before they started the match, they, they like reset things. It's like, okay, we gave you the preview. Now we're getting going and we're not going to take up as much match time with a commercial, which they would normally ring the bell one minute yes. into it. They'd go to commercial, right? They didn't do that here, and I appreciated that. So, okay, let's talk about this match. So there's a lot here. Rollins hit a great double tope suicida. KO nailed the senton bomb on Gable for a 2.5. Orton and Gable got a double hot tag, and Orton hit a double draping DDT also with Rollins. Orton dodged the stomp and hit an RKO, but 
Owens broke the fall. So Orton dumped him and Gable into the announce table before teaming with Riddle to do the same thing to Otis, which was a great spot. And somehow this table took three huge bumps and did not break. I don't know how that yeah, was possible. Yeah, craziest table, craziest announce table ever. Yeah, so KO broke a fall after floating bro. Riddle ate a Vader bomb and a moonsault, but Rollins broke the fall. Otis was at the bottom of a super duperplex. KO hit a cannonball off the top rope outside. Then Rollins did a draping double stomp on Riddle for a near fall. Riddle countered a rolling forearm into a triangle choke, but Gable broke the submission with a flying headbutt. Then he did deadlift German suplexes on Orton, Rollins, and Riddle. Gable tried a moonsault, and Orton caught him with one of his top five RKOs of all time. Top three. Maybe top, top three. Very possibly number three all time on the list, but definitely inarguably top five. It was so smooth, Carlos Santana was jealous. Gable ate a buckle bomb, a stunner, and a stomp before Riddle tossed Rollins out and covered him to regain the Raw tag team title. So again, Gable ate two finishers and a signature move. They kept him strong, just as all these other matches where people were getting beat, they kept them strong with multiple finishers. Rollins and KO were completely distraught at ringside without Mania plans. They were sitting in shock after the bell. RK Bro celebrated going to Mania, and Orton said he's never had this much fun in his 20-year career. He also said Riddle is the F word, his friend, and it's the first time he's ever said that in his career. And he just went crazy. He was celebrating insanely hard. This match, and I think uh, the promo, if you include that as well, the promos, got four segments to start Raw. The match got 30 minutes. Shout out to WWE for using the proper triple threat tag yes. team rules with three legal men at the entire time. You saw how much better the match was because of that rule. Also. Shout out to the Cleveland crowd for being incredible bell yep. to bell. This was a banger by any definition of the word. Everyone, all six men in the match, were they were outstanding. The referee did a great job ensuring there were tags. The spots were awesome. The selling was great. I legitimately had no idea who was going to win. Corey Graves called it the best triple threat tag team match of all time. That's not true, okay? <laughs> but it was definitely one of the best I've ever seen on television. Even the post-match storytelling was exceptionally well done. This was an A-plus TV match, so there's a little bit of a curve, but I'm going 4.75 stars, and anyone who listened to our AEW Revolution uh, instant analysis, you know this is going to piss you off that I graded this match higher than that one. This one was better. Chris, it, it was. I was. Yeah. I was over the moon. So happy about this. I, I was going to make the same point. I was going to. I was. Uh, you had to compare it to the to the Revolution Triple Tag Match tonight. You before. have to inside of twenty four hours. You have to make the comparison. Yes, yes. and the AEW match did not have the tag team rules that we like. It had two people in the ring at one time. They, they did the they did the correct tag team rules. This match, um, it was a situation where in both matches, really you. Anybody theoretically could win, but mm -hmm. we, we we both picked the same in, in this one. Yeah, I, I did not know where this was going to go the entire way. I just, this was absolute fire from start to finish. Almost took up the whole first hour of the show. Mm -hmm. And yep. it, it was, it, it's another reminder to WWE, like when you give long matches and you give passionate promos, people will get into that. Like that, that's all you got to do. Like just give these people time to tell these stories 
and people will buy into these stories. I think that's a top three RKO. The other ones are the Evan Bourne on mm -hmm. the Shooting Star Press and the WrestleMania 31 Seth Rollins off of the stomp. Yep. I, I think I think this one goes right in there. Uh, and this was this was probably the best executed of the three. It was so smooth. Gable's moonsault was perfect. Randy slid right in there. Did not see it coming truly out of nowhere. Uh, awesome, awesome match. The post-match stuff, Randy fired up. Again, we've never heard Randy Orton like that. He's been doing this for like 20 years. We've never seen him like this. It, it, it's such an interesting and fresh take on his character. And, and, and obviously part of it is, is real, uh, his, his relationship with, with Riddle. The, the Kevin Owens-Rollins stuff had intrigue at the end. You didn't know what was going to happen next there. This was just absolute five-star segment, 4.75-star match. Just an absolute perfect way to kick off this Raw and a perfect way for WWE to respond to an AEW pay-per-view that many thought had a better card than Mania. And it was a reminder that WWE can do pro wrestling and it can do it very well yep. when it wants to. And, and these are all, all six men involved are incredibly talented and, and, and showed that. It was so good that I can't even tell you who the MVP of the match was. Like clearly I, I Gable know. was incredible. Riddle was awesome. Rollins and Owens were both good. I mean, it all four of those guys just it, it, it's as good as you can ask for, honestly. And I know some will say, well, yeah, you're within the constraints of WWE. OK, but they did wild shit the entire match. Like, OK, maybe there's not a Spanish fly off a set into two tables in a really dangerous spot, but I don't need that to enjoy a great wrestling match. This just bell to bell from the start of the show, from moment one, when I think it was Kevin Owens music hit to the final moment where Randy Orton was, you know, going crazy excited and they they zoomed in on Owens and Rollins sitting there just looking like apoplectic. Every single second of this nailed. And you know what? I don't even think there was a single slip up or botch in the whole match. So I don't think so. Either. It was just it was fantastic. Cannot praise it enough. And look, clearly a large part of the reason for this match and the booking was telling the story of Rollins and KO not having a path to Mania. And we can talk about that being trite and because they do it every year and being ridiculous because in many ways it is. Why would a top star not have a path to WrestleMania? And the same thing with John Cena in the past. It, you know, it's, 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 it's especially trite this year when Johnny Knoxville, Pat McAfee, and Logan Paul all have matches booked. Exactly. Yes. And you're like, well, how could, the, how could you not figure out KO and Rollins against the Street Profits in a worst case scenario, right? Like, why would WWE not book them for the show? It doesn't make any sense. But I can't help but feel that coming out of this, I know we're, we're going to talk about the plans with Kevin Owens. We're going to discuss the potential plans for Seth Rollins. I can't help but feel that on a two-match WrestleMania, or a two-night WrestleMania card, that this match, exactly as it went down, the same three teams, the same amount of time, the same winner should have been on night one of WrestleMania. This was the perfect type of fight for that show with the huge baby faces winning the title. And given Mania is so close, I don't know why you want RK Bro to have that moment on TV. They could have even had the same match here and had the Academy retain and then just do another triple threat at Mania with RK Bro and maybe the Street Profits. So I thought there were so many other ways that this could have unfolded, you could still do the KO storyline 
with Texas and, and what that's going to lead to, which we'll talk about in a moment, you can still do that and have it play out on night two and have this match on night one. So I'm not upset that they gave us a great match on TV. I just thought that RK Bro winning the titles is a WrestleMania moment that they kind of gave away in hour one of a Raw. 100% fair. I, I, I completely agree with all that. I think that, I think that whole idea would have worked great. Um, so so what this means for Mania now, RK Bro is going to be there. I, I assume this means Alpha Academy versus RK Bro, which which is good. I, th- I think we're going to get RK Bro Street Profits. Because, you know, singles, uh, I guess uh, uh, one team versus one team. I was because I've been very concerned that Alpha Academy is not going to have a spot on Raw, which they uh, I'm sorry, not have a spot on Mania, which they didn't last year. either. Right. right. And these guys have been doing such a great job and they know that. I mean, they've got shirts now. They're 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 they're, they're bookending segments and shows. They clearly really like Alpha Academy. So I just I really hope. They find a spot on the show. Maybe they do another triple threat tag with these two teams in the Street Profits. I, I would be behind that. Me too. I, I think that'd be a great way to do because because Alpha Academy deserves to be on that show, and I, and I hope they are. They absolutely do. You're you're 100 right. Super entertaining. They get a lot of heat now from the crowd as well. So you want them to be a foil. And if you're going to do RK Bro against Street Profits, those are two face teams. So it would be great to have a heel foil in that match. I would love for them to do a triple threat again. It would totally work for me. One last thing before we move on to KO and Rollins. We discussed, and we have discussed in this podcast in the past, the eventual breakup of RK-Bro. At the time, I said on this show that what WWE should do to swerve everyone is have Riddle be the one to turn on Orton because he was taught too well by the master. Something like that, right? With Orton's promo after the match, how excited he was going into the match, how big of a face he is becoming, it really made me think that's the direction they're eventually going to go. It could be the Raw after WrestleMania if they somehow drop the titles. But I'm now leaning even more in that direction where Orton finally trusts someone and, you know, it's all working out. He finally has a friend and, and it's all going good. And Riddle eventually is going to be the one to say, you know what? This ain't working for me, brother. You know, we when we talked about the breakup last time, my my pitch was essentially an amicable parting of ways. You know, maybe they they lose the titles, they lose the chance to get it back. Riddle gets some number one contender and they just say, you know what, let's go our separate ways, but I always got your back. And they kind of just float away from there and periodically can help each other out. It's not the typical way you do it. You're obviously giving up a money match by not doing Riddle versus Orton. So it's probably not going to happen. But I, I think it would be an interesting way to do it. Um, I, I still don't think they have Riddle turn on Orton. I, I just I can't see Riddle as a heel. And Orton's been a heel f- for, for so long. And him turning on Riddle would just get everybody more behind Riddle who they want to elevate. So I, lo- I there's, a, there's a lot of different ways they could go with it at some point. And I, I think any way you do it, it could be pretty good. I just... Honestly, don't have hope it happens anytime soon because these guys keep getting closer and closer. People keep getting into them more and more. I love their combined music together. Uh, I don't want RK Bro to break up anytime soon. I don't want this to be a SummerSlam match. Maybe a year from now, but I, I still feel like uh, there's there's a, a lot you can keep doing with these guys. All right, so let's move into. I guess this would be the third part of the endless main event today. 
Uh, so KO was depressed backstage. Rollins was despondent, refusing to answer or even acknowledge questions. Owens later was okay taking questions, and he said he never wants to feel this feeling again, and he won't because he had an epiphany that will change his WrestleMania future, and he said he would share that plan later. So the main event of the show comes. KO hits the ring. He said he wants to have the biggest, most stupendous KO show in history at Mania. He said he would need a low life from Texas as a special guest, but JBL is a blowhard. Booker T is a hypocrite who doesn't represent Texas, and he hates Shawn Michaels because he's a proud Canadian who sides with Bret Hart. Bret screwed Bret. Let's not forget that. Owen said the guy he wanted was a redneck who drinks beer, has bad knees, and is a shell of his former self. KO said he'd love to give this guy a stunner and pour milk all over his body. He said the bottom line is that he's calling out Stone Cold Steve Austin. Raw then ended with a graphic asking if Austin would show up, but they also played his music in the <laughs> arena. And for a second, the fans got faked out by it, just like yeah. they did with The Undertaker recently, just like yeah. they did with The Rock uh, a little bit before that as well. This was an expert level promo by KO. We discussed last week all the options with Austin, and it makes the most sense by far for him to do something like this instead of wrestle like a 10-minute match or something like that. So while I wish Owens was wrestling in a title match or something more significant on the show, these guys are going to absolutely crush it in whatever they do, which is going to be on Saturday. Now, at noon on Tuesday, so WWE After Raw said that at noon on Tuesday, Austin would answer him. And I kind of felt that that was a little bit silly. On one hand, I know they wanted to capitalize from the attention that it got at the end of Raw, which was cool. It, on was, the immediately other, it was immediately trending on Twitter, too. It was immediate. Yeah, Stone Cold was immediately trending on Twitter. On the other hand, it kind of said, man, if you promote that he's going to answer Monday on Raw, you're going to pop a rating for that. Say it's going to be the first thing on the show or, you know, at the 9 p.m. hour, whatever the case. But whatever, they decided to do it on social media. It's WWE's call. Austin gave his answer in a two-minute uh, video package, kind of, that he put together. He was driving an ATV. He pulls up, he gets out, and he basically cuts a promo that only a Hall of Famer can cut. He It was typical, perfect Stone Cold Steve Austin, mealy mouth, son of a bitch, every single phrase, stomp a mud hole. He nailed the entire gamut of it. Uh, and long story short, Austin accepted the invitation to WrestleMania, but the key phrase that he used, and I didn't write it down quote by, you know, in a word by word in a quote here, but he goes, whether it's KO show, a match, brawl, me beating the shit out of you. So basically what he's saying is, hey, we're going to call it the KO show, but it can be anything. It can be a scenario clearly where WWE does like a rock Eric Rowan situation where they get so passionate where he says, hey, just ring the damn bell. They fight, they have a match. Austin stuns them and wins. Whatever it is, um, let me just tell you this right now. People are going nuts about this. And this happened, let's not forget, Chris, uh, about 30 minutes after Aaron Rodgers uh, signed a $200 million deal with the Green Bay Packers which 100, with $153 million guaranteed. So WWE, you know, they, they tried to schedule this so that they could make some big news, and they did it right up against the biggest NFL story maybe that we're going to have this entire offseason. 19 years ago, I wrestled my last match in a WWE ring. After three rock bottoms, one, two, three, I lost the match. And for 19 years, I've had to live with that defeat knowing my time was up. 
Kevin Owens, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for waking something up deep inside me that I've kept buried for 19 years. Ever since you started running that damn mealy mouth of yours talking about the state of Texas, the great state of Texas, you got my attention. And why would you want to do that, Kevin? I can think of two reasons. One, you are one dumb son of a bitch. And two, you are fixing to get your ass kicked by Stone Cold Steve Austin. Whether you want to call this a KO show, a match, a fight, a brawl, whatever, I will guarantee you this. In Dallas, Texas, where I started my career at WrestleMania, Stone Cold Steve Austin is going to open up one last can of whoop ass on you, Kevin Owens. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. Yeah, I'm looking uh, at the moment. Aaron Rodgers is the number two trending topic. Stone Cold's number 13. Right. So it, it is the and actually and actually Pat McAfee of WWE broke the broke the uh Rogers news momentarily. But yeah, people are really excited about this. You know, you know who's excited about this? Me, because I'm <laughs> going there. Yeah. And I'm gonna get to see the Stone Cold glass break entrance for the first time in my life. I know I did cool. I grew up on I grew up on the Attitude Era, never never went to a show. Uh parents didn't parents let us watch it and everything, just didn't want to take us down there down to uh, Joe Louis Arena in Detroit. And it, and I got out about 2001, got back in about 2013. So when I went to WrestleMania 34, um, I, I wanted, I'd never seen a Triple H entrance before. And I got that. And that was a childhood dream come true. I got a Kurt Angle entrance. I'd never seen that before. For my brother and I were there. That, that was a dream come true. And now we're going to get a Stone Cold entrance. So it's just like, I, I, I'm I'm excited for this. I don't know what it is. I don't know. We don't know if it's a match. We don't. We know it's not not a match. I don't know if they totally know what they're going to do, but they're going to fight. They're going to beat each other up a little bit. Austin will stun them. Do that whole thing. I, I like this better than uh, the thing they did the last time they were in Dallas, which was the 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 League of Nations or whatever that was, and, and mankind and Austin and. Shawn Michaels all came out and did their finishers. There, there's there's an edge to this one. That Austin promo, there was an edge to that. Uh, he he still got it. He's still oh, one yeah. of the. He's still probably the best to ever do it, and you could see why there. And so yeah, I'm excited for it. Now, you know, with with a lot of the things going on in Texas right now, you can make a case that Kevin Owens might be the babyface. And is I'm not saying, face. and yeah. I'm not saying Stone Cold is defending that because Stone Cold has come out in the past on various issues. In, in ways that maybe people wouldn't expect. True. Uh, and, and and it's important to remember that the people of Texas, like myself, are not the, the people who run the state. But I'm excited for this. And and I just, I, I'm, I, I'm glad we're getting it. I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but good luck to whoever's going to follow that segment. <laughs> right, exactly. And you know what? I like not knowing what it's going to be. And I like that they left it open-ended because, you know, everyone, you have to remember, folks, and I saw this going around a lot last week on Twitter. Uh, there were there were reports that seemed to have been refuted that Cody Rhodes talks with WWE have fizzled. There were talks that Steve Austin did not agree to wrestle a match at WrestleMania. And there was a third one. I'm forgetting off the top of my head what it was. Something that, um, oh, Pat McAfee versus Vince McMahon, that they were yes. going to have a match at WrestleMania. All things reported 
by wrestling quote unquote journalists, right? And the IWC worked itself up into a frenzy and people started getting angry that things that were reported and not announced by WWE and not even heavily reported either, like individual people kind of just throwing stuff out there weren't going to happen. And and it's it's such an insane way to work yourself. It's working yourself, basically. It's It's creating an expectation that WWE didn't create, that just other people said, hey, we saw an internal list and these things are on it. Well, guess what? There's also things called placeholders. And if something says Kevin Owens versus Steve Austin, this is Kevin Owens versus Steve Austin. Whether the bell rings or not is kind of irrelevant because you're getting a confrontation with one of WWE's best active talkers and one of its biggest stars right now. People absolutely love Kevin Owens. And arguably, it's number one star two, if you really want to put Hulk Hogan up there, of all time. Or at least its biggest star during its most popular era of all time. So this is going to be awesome. And no, I don't, similarly, and we're going to talk about it in a moment, I don't, I never had an expectation that 76-year-old Vince McMahon was getting (laughs) into a ring and wrestling a match. I never had that expectation. So just my point being on all of this, that, you know, don't work yourself up into a frenzy because something that wasn't announced doesn't happen. They have plans. Work yourself into a shoot, brother. Yeah, they they have plans. Things change. Things are adjusted. Something could be written one way, but the plan is to do it a different way. We talked about this ad nauseum on last week's podcast, Chris. And I like where we wound up because I didn't really want Austin to just come out and have a match unless he was really going to do it with a such a strong storyline that there was no denying it needed to end in a match. This, for me, is perfect. I like that Raw, by the way has been closing on angles instead of matches the last two weeks. You know what that does? It sells me on WrestleMania. They've sold me on Edge and AJ Styles. They've sold me on Kevin Owens and Stone Cold Steve Austin. This is great. I'm really excited for it. No, well, not only does it sell you for WrestleMania, it sells you for the next week's show. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> like, I, I, I want to see, I wanted to see how Edge was going to explain himself. So, yeah, this is why, so this is why I don't, read the dirt sheets because a lot of stuff just doesn't come true. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get myself excited for that kind of stuff. When the first rumors about stone cold were going around, I immediately put up all my tweet deck filters to try to, I, I muted Sean Ross app from my timeline <laughs> because I just, I don't want to know what plans are or aren't because it might not be that. And I don't want to be spoiled. It's just the way I go about it. So the Stone Cold thing had become so loud, though, that we did talk about it a couple we weeks ago. We had to, yeah. We didn't have a choice. That we talked about it a couple weeks ago on the show. Um, and, yeah, so so this is good. Like, we're not getting Sasha, you know, Sasha Bailey versus Trish and Lita, and we're upset about that. But I am that was never that, yeah. that was never even reported, or that was just, like, fan theorized. It was so, me. Like, it was me. I, I was just well, talking a lot, about a lot it. of us talked about it. A lot of, a lot of people talked about it. So, did like, okay. I just... I just I don't want to like get myself excited for something that's not happening yet. So the fact that we are getting Stone Cold now is incredibly exciting. And yeah, that's just kind of why I stay away from dirt sheets because yeah, things are placeholders. You don't know the availability of certain people, and I don't want to be surprised. I don't want to be spoiled on a surprise. So uh, glad to see this one going through though. One last thing before we move on off this overall subject, we are now left, Chris, to truly wonder. What remains for Seth Rollins? Looking at both rosters, and I did a deep dive on Raw and SmackDown to kind of see who's available, how could it work. On Raw, the only person, literally it's one person, 
who exists that would make sense would be Bobby Lashley if he's somehow cleared, if he's somehow able to be healthy for WrestleMania. From SmackDown, similarly, there's like no one available. If they worked something, I guess maybe they could do something with Big E or someone from New Day or Shinsuke Nakamura technically is out there as well. Although it kind of feels like Nakamura and Boogs may get the Usos in a SmackDown tag team title match. So unless they're bringing back a legend or planning to sign and run an angle with Cody Rhodes, I'm really at a loss for what Rollins is going to do, who he's going to fight, how he's going to be used at WrestleMania. This is arguably your number three men's star. You have Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar and Rollins slots in right there underneath them. And for him not to have something solid in place, ready to go for WrestleMania and blatantly obvious, to me says they have something that they're keeping a tight lip on. And it makes me believe now more than ever before that it that they're going to sign Cody and that he's going to fight Cody. Because if it's not that, I literally have no other idea what it could be, what he would do for the show, because you cannot leave him off. It's one thing to like not have a match for Bailey, and I love Bailey. We're huge Bailey fans on this show. It was one thing for her not to have something. It is quite another for Seth Rollins not to have something. Yeah, I, I don't, I have no other idea where he would go. And the Cody thing makes sense. And, and again, like the Cody thing got announced by AEW. So like, you know, you see that, but then you see talks of him talking with WWE and then it fizzles. And then, you know, you never, you, you know, maybe it's, it's all a work. And again, that's why I generally try to stay away from the dirt sheets. Cody makes all the sense in the world. It, it, it really does. It's a major match for him. It puts him in with the main eventer. I assume Cody would probably win if, if that's the case. Rollins could take um, a loss. He'd be fine. Yeah. 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 So, fine. yeah, I, I don't really know unless, I mean, Lashley could come back, but there's not that much of a, a history there. Maybe the, the other possibility is if Shane McMahon gets back in the good graces suddenly. And because that was something that I know that was, was, was out there. It was rumored the, that could it potentially was be around the rumble. Yeah. yeah. So outside of those two, yeah, I'm not really sure, but I do agree that they do have a plan because we talked last week. We said, are we really going to get Rollins and KO in a tag match at WrestleMania? You know, hey, we haven't heard anything about Stone Cold in a while. You know, maybe that mm -hmm. plan didn't work out and then boom, we get Stone Cold. So, yes, I do think they definitely have a plan for Rollins. I just have no idea what it is. And I hope I don't get spoiled uh, by something that's not <laughs> on the TV show. So we'll see. Especially by the way they... They put him on the camera. They zoomed in on him. Yeah. Backstage, they did the despondency, you know, whole angle. So there's something there. And I do need to note, and we'll move on right after this. Raw next week, Chris. Do you know where it happens to be located? Uh, no. Jacksonville, Florida. Ooh. Wouldn't that be interesting? That would be interesting. You that know, I, interesting. I thought the Stone Cold news, when he, when he called out Stone Cold, I thought we would get an answer on 316 day, which is next Wednesday. Uh, mm. But I guess not. So, but yeah, I mean, as for dates and, and places playing a role, maybe. I mean, think about that, right? Pretty interesting. That's all I'm saying. Yep. Oh, oh, one other thing. Uh, SmackDown was in Miami. And remember we talked about, I didn't go to that show and I didn't think, yes. I should have gone to that show. Ah, I told you, I, know, <laughs> I told you. I made a mistake. I did. Uh, 
just to see the Intercontinental title match at a minimum. That was really cool. But we'll talk about that a little bit later in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. We still have two parts left of this main event because we got some big news, good news that I'm really excited about. Vader, Big Van Vader, is being inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame class of 2022. Long, long overdue for one of the greatest big men in wrestling history. He did so many athletic moves that guys his size simply did not even attempt in the 80s and 90s. Leon White, I know you know this, Chris, he was a center at Colorado who was drafted by the LA Rams before wrestling for 23 years straight, plus another seven after that. So he had a 30-year wrestling career, two-time Triple Crown Heavyweight Champion for All Japan, three-time IWGP Heavyweight Champion for New Japan, three-time WCW World Heavyweight Champion, and he was also the Wrestler of the Year for Pro Wrestling Illustrated in 1993. And he has a ton of other accolades, plenty of titles, tag team titles, great stuff. I remember growing up as a WWE fan. I will always remember him when he assaulted Gorilla Monsoon in it was like 95 or 96. Obviously, everyone who was around our age, and I'm a little bit older than you, but remembers him guesting on Boy Meets World uh, with Corey <laughs> Matthews. That was a very funny uh, segment. Uh, but so Vader, like, a name like a key name in professional wrestling history. Unfortunately, he had congestive heart failure late in life. He died at age 63. And in his last years, he said he wanted to be in the WWE Hall of Fame before he passed. And it really is a shame that WWE did not make this happen before he died so he could experience it. But to be the number two guy behind The Undertaker in this class is incredibly impressive. And as I said, long overdue. Yes, long overdue. It, it, was, it was sad that it didn't happen before the end of his life. I don't know the circumstances around exactly why, but uh, yes, very long overdue. My first um, interaction with, with Vader was actually, a, it was the toys. It, it was right when I got into wrestling in, in mid to late 97, and I got a two-pack. It was, it was Vader and Shawn Michaels. And those those are my first two wrestling toys, and I, I built up a big collection out of that afterward. Uh, his, his his arm fell off. I lost it, so he became a one-armed wrestler. His head popped off, so he could go back on. But I always think of my Vader toy when I think of Vader. But he, he was such an incredible athlete, and he was kind of on the end of his WWF run when I first got in. You know, he had some not some forgettable moments in WWF uh, toward the end there. But, you know, you go back and watch a lot of the, the, the matches he had all over the all over the world. Again, so many different types of wrestlers. He had that big, was it that like elephant mask tusk or whatever that was that he would wear to the ring sometimes? It was pretty cool. Mm. I've, I've, I've read and heard plenty of the story. I, th- I think he was in Japan when his eye got pulled out of its socket in a match, like finished the match. Like, holy crap. Dude. He was on Austin's podcast a number of years back. I remember listening to it, but uh, Vader's awesome. Awesome to see him in the Hall of Fame. Awesome to see him as the number two to The Undertaker. Just wish it could have happened earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, by the way, uh, the Stone Cold thing is trending up. He's now inside the top 10. So it's, it oh, is yeah. picking up a lot of uh, a traffic for WWE. I just wanted to add that. But yes, Vader, uh, very, very happy for him. And it, it does seem, Chris, uh, I'm not going to say who it is because I happened to see it and I did not mean to see it. But the third rumored entrant in the WWE Hall of Fame for this year would be another. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> That's what I'm 
So it's very possible. Again, I'm not going to say who it is. It's very possible this is the biggest and meatiest Hall of Fame class of all time for WWE. So interested to see uh, if that actually happens and how this class shapes up. Clearly now, though, we do know it is not going to be a one-person class like we thought it could be. We thought there was a chance it was just The Undertaker. It is not going to be that. Let's move on, Chris, to the final part of our main event, which is Vince McMahon's interview on the Pat McAfee show last week. I believe it was Thursday. They promoted this as the first live interview that Vince McMahon has done in 15 years, which was technically true because the Steve Austin one was taped for the podcast and for WWE Network. Now, Vince was late and there was a funny moment where Kevin Dunn actually called McAfee live on his cell phone during the show, not, I guess, knowing that they were on the air. It was pretty (laughs) funny. Uh, One other note, Vince looked a hundred times better and more normal without all that caked on makeup he wears on WWE TV. Mm-hmm. He just looked like his old self. Yeah, the eyebrows were still kind of drawn on and stuff, or maybe they're uh, like implants or whatever, which is nice to see. But I just was thrilled to kind of see Vince looking normal. And it made me think like, he just should look like this all the time. I don't know why they dress him up like a doll sometimes on TV. Yeah, no, he looked great, sounded great, got better as it went on. Uh, so that was good to see. So, Chris, I'm not going to go line by line here because we can't recap and analyze an entire interview. But there were it's like a couple an hour long, too. It's like an yeah. Hour long too. And I really suggest everyone watch it. The, the, it was a little bit. The only negative I had on the whole interview was the way the microphone was set up. Vince was so low and the other guys on the show were so loud that it was such a it was very tough. And they didn't I don't know why they didn't adjust his level, but they yeah. just didn't. So it was a little tough to hear him occasionally. But again, we can't recap and analyze the entire thing. There were a couple items that were worth discussing. And I want to start by saying it was really funny how Vince was rattled by Pat's cursing early in the show. (laughs) And then by the end of the show, he's throwing out a fuck and a fucking, it's just all over the place. I just thought that was hysterical. Yeah, no, that he he, like, yeah, he opened up as it went on. And yeah, the swearing, I don't know if that was originally in the plans, but it was, it was uh, notable to see. It was, it was, it was uh, humanizing. I don't think I've ever heard him say the F word before. I I think I've heard it like in old segments, like I don't know if it was Howard Stern stuff back in the day or different setups, but yeah, it it at least been a long time. It was I'm almost I'm almost positive, and maybe he did it on the Austin Pod. I don't think he did, but I, I just don't think it's. I think I think it's the first time I've ever heard him say the f word. Anyway, uh, Vince really gave some strong confirmation of stories about his personality and the way he thinks. He talked about. A negative being a double negative because it takes you away from dealing with a positive. He also said it's not worth anyone's time to try and change someone's perception of you if they think you're an asshole because they're always going to think you're an asshole. And he doesn't mm-hmm. mind being called an asshole. Then he, I think he said, congratulations if you think I'm an asshole. Like, maybe I am, whatever. He also said he loves confrontation and obviously competition because it puts you on your toes. And most telling, Chris, he explained that he spends every waking hour doing WWE stuff because he doesn't consider it work. It's just life and he enjoys it. And that really speaks to, you know, one of the real tenets that people talk about when you, if you have a job you love, you never work a day in your life. I think that's the old saying. And that seems to be the case for Vince. He has a job he loves and he does not consider it work. Yes. And another point, he said, uh, if if you show up late, don't explain why you're late. Nobody cares. Right. Like that. There, there was just some like general. Like, don't, philosophy. don't explain. Don't explain why you're late, but don't look all disheveled. Look all put together and yeah. walk in and, and just carry on. 
Yeah, just some yeah. interesting, just kind of like life philosophies. I think, well, honestly, one of the biggest takeaways I thought it was it was it was in it was a look into his psyche that we don't normally get. Yeah, it was. was now the two craziest revelations I heard were when he bought WWF from his dad, which at the time was WWWF. He paid some upfront, but he had a loan from the bank, and he paid it all the installments with cash flow from WWF and could have lost the company at any of the pay periods if he was unable to make the payment because the company wasn't successful. So the first couple of years he had WWF, it was hanging by a thread financially where literally at any time he could have lost it. And the other one is that Jim Ross once told him that he overheard old wrestling promoters talking about legitimately putting a hit out and killing Vince McMahon. And he did this while he was taking a shit in a toilet stall. That's wild. And I know JR has a podcast. I want him to confirm or disconfirm that story. He's uh, told it before. Has he? I had never heard yeah, that Yeah, I, I, I was on the podcast or some show like 20 years ago or something. But I saw several people noting that, that Jim Ross did tell this story back in the day. It just it got me thinking like, man... If we could really have the interview with Vince McMahon, not this on Pat McAfee, because Pat, he doesn't really ask follow up questions and get into the nitty gritty. He's there to have fun. But like if someone could sit down with Vince and and hey, WWE, if you're listening, I would be up for it for like a three hour sit down life and career interview. This guy has to have so many stories that either only he knows about or the people involved would never tell. So he would be the only one to tell them. And I'm because there's never been a book. I know they're doing a docu-series or a documentary on him. There's a bunch of stuff coming out about Vince McMahon in the near future. One of them is specifically on the steroid trial. Uh, but these are hidden gems. These are things that you, we are never going to hear. And people are never going to know until it's somehow released in a way that we don't expect. Or perhaps upon his death, people start telling stories that, you know, would never otherwise be known. Yeah. But I, that was the only thing I could think about while I was listening to this interview. Yeah. I mean, Vince is one of the, still one of the largest probably enigmas in entertainment in that not only do we not know a ton about his background, but also it's wrestling and you always got to wonder if you're being worked. That, that That's true. certainly a part of it. Like the, the Vince story about the company, like, Maybe that's true. I don't know. His his comments about the lawsuit with the WWF, the World Wildlife Fund over the that name. Was great. Yeah. That was great. Was that accurate either, though? They, they they violated copyright agreements that were already in place. That's what led to the whole thing. And, and, and so, like, there's a quote on his Wikipedia page that I always come back to. And I always wonder if we're going to see it dramatized or something like that. But he says that when, when he grew up, uh, his, his, one of his stepfathers used to beat his mother and attack him when he tried to protect her. And he's quoted from a 2001 issue of a Playboy interview where he says, it's unfortunate that he died before I could kill him. I would have enjoyed mm -hmm. that. That I remember. Like, yeah. yeah. So like you've got bits and pieces of Vince McMahon's stories from all over the place. Yeah, I'd love to have it all together. I'd love to have the definitive Vince McMahon interview, definitive story. But you also need some fact checking in there because it, to the extent that you can, because it's wrestling and there, there's always that aspect of it. Sure, that's true. Now. There was some news, so let's run through that pretty quick. And uh, Chris, jump in at any point, okay, if you want to say yep. something. And I'll try to pause after each one. Uh, Vince announced he's going to induct The Undertaker into the Hall of Fame. 
I thought that made total sense given their relationship, extended time together, and other people who would do it obviously are no longer with us. But for Vince to do that, it really does speak to their relationship and how important Undertaker is to WWE historically. The only person I could even possibly think of him inducting would be Stone Cold Steve Austin. And really the person who should do that is Jim Ross, but you know, well, or so what, cool. Steve Austin's already in. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the only person who he w- ever would have, is what I'm trying to say. And I think he did. No, I think did Jim Ross or did Rock do it, or did Jim Ross do it? I don't. Remember. I think Jim Ross so long ago. I'll, I'll look it up. Later. You look but it up while I'm also, talking. But also, also, Vince Vince got pretty emotional. Got a little emotional talking about he did. that too. He did, and, and and you know, he he didn't want to show that, but um, again, it, it was an interesting side of it for sure. No, my point was he he was the only other one he would like. Yes, would potentially. Uh, Pat asked Vince about the succession comparisons with the Roy family and the McMahons. We've talked about this. People talk about it online all the time. Vince said his goal in WWE is for the company to continue successfully, quote, whether that's with a family member or without a family member, you got to do the right thing for business. That to me was very intriguing that he said it in that way. Now, he may have just said it in a general statement. His plan may be it's going to be Stephanie and, you know, it doesn't really matter what else happens. But considering the power that Nick Khan now yields within the company, it was an interesting way that he put that. I found that, you know, intriguing. Um, yes. Did you find also, out who inducted? Yeah, yeah Vin, uh, Vince did do Austin. He did. He's he, he's he, he, it's it's the only other time he did it. Two thousand nine. I, I could have sworn Jr. did that. Okay. Wow. Okay. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. Stone Cold Steve Austin and the Undertaker, the only two people that he would do it for. Uh, he also said that using stupendous, which obviously I've criticized and we've criticized on the show, was one hundred percent purposeful for WrestleMania because they know it's a weird word that people don't use and that it would get talked about. It wasn't done because they think it's trendy, but literally the exact opposite reason. And like on one hand, Chris, that made me feel good that they recognized it. But on the other, it's still really stupid. It It is, but it, it did kind of sell me on it. Like, hey, it, it, it's, a, it's a word that nobody uses. So you can kind of associate the word stupendous with WrestleMania. I, I, I again, I don't like it, but it was an explanation I can at least buy. I, I bought it. Yes, I, that's exactly right. Uh, he also, he said he doesn't like using the word wrestling or wrestlers because he believes wrestlers are a dime a dozen. He wants his people to be bigger, better, and more important. So therefore they are WWE superstars. We knew that, but to hear him explain it was pretty cool. Um, it, it's also it's also not totally accurate because the sports entertainment part was part of breaking away from sports commissions and various regulations that yes came with that they had a whole press conference about it back well in that's the why they don't call it the half that's why they don't call it wrestling but he was talking yeah. about wrestlers versus superstars yeah but it kind of comes it, it, it's it's a little bit together because they talked about sports entertainment and that type of stuff so th- that's why he doesn't call them wrestlers I, I i get again i buy the idea like hey everyone's a wrestler our guys are superstars i get it i i, I don't even mind that i just wish they wouldn't essentially ban the word wrestle <laughs> right, right which is what they have done for a period of time you can you can call someone superstar but if you call them a wrestler it's okay if you call it professional wrestling it's okay just try to emphasize sports entertainment i think that's when it, it gets weird when you when they replace a word replace the word wrestling with sports entertainment in a sentence and it doesn't it just sounds weird that's when it gets goofy but again you can kind of see why he's doing it Sure. Uh, he also said he this and you mentioned this earlier. He didn't know the World Wildlife Fund existed when they were sued. He had a great line. The panda got us to a certain extent. Now, the line was funny. As you pointed out, they did know the World Wildlife Fund existed. However, 
they what I believe is they didn't know it existed or he didn't know it existed when he named the company WWF. So I believe there was a period of time where that's true. But certainly when they were sued over the name eventually and when they lost, he knew it existed at that point. Yeah, Dave Bixon's fan had a really good article about this from a few years back. He tweeted it and it basically goes through all the details of of the, the agreements, the copyrights, the various things. It was actually a period in the late 90s when WWF agreed to just not use, they could say WWF, but they couldn't put WWF in print. They would have to say World Wrestling Federation as like some mm. agreement. But when they created WWF.com, that's really the spark that kind of brought it all back right. up and eventually they lost because because they took the URL, WWF.com. It's uh, So it's a lot more complicated. And I believe they sued them in Europe or England or something, right? Yeah, it was. And Vince made a comment about that. But yeah, it was basically WWE violated a lot of copyright stuff that they'd agreed to and they knew they weren't going to win. So Yes, that's right. They pushed it. And then, yeah, that, yeah, you're, you're 100% right on that. Uh, he also said, Vince said that they don't like releasing people, but they saw it as cutting dead weight. And that rubbed some people the wrong way. People kind of took that quote out of context and made headlines. I saw it as Vince, number one, using corporate speak. That's what it is called. It's very common terminology, but also just being honest. Like if WWE and Vince don't see a future for someone, even if they're dead wrong about that, which we say they are all the time, then it certainly doesn't make sense to keep them on the payroll and pay them a lot of money if they don't think that there's a future for them in WWE. Now, again, some of the choices they've made are absolutely absurd to that end. But from his standpoint, I understand the mentality. Yeah, it, um, it it was a little crass, but not unexpected. And again, like we don't we don't like the idea of WWE releasing all these wrestlers, but and we we think a lot of them specifically are bad decisions. But you know, you can understand the decision being made. It's not like it, it's not completely nonsensical. We just disagree. Right. It. Again, he's providing reasoning. It, just because we don't agree with the reasoning doesn't mean that yeah. it's not reasoning for them. That that's kind of yeah. what I'm getting at. And then the last two things. Uh, Vince put over Brock Lesnar. He called him a smart son of a bitch and really fucking intelligent. Both of those are quotes. And then lastly, he offered, of course, Pat McAfee a WrestleMania match. And we're going to talk about that, about that in a little bit. But I did love that he offered him the match. And Pat's reaction to it was, even though it was kayfabe, because you knew he knew it was coming, he had to have agreed to it. Uh, it felt really genuine. And it felt like the way that Pat would react to it. So I just loved kind of how they did it. I also loved that they didn't do an angle and it wasn't Vince challenging Pat to fight him or something like that. And it was counter to what the reports were uh, coming in. It was really just Vince offering a match, Pat taking it. And by the way, Pat, I mean, we talk about Bad Bunny. He had a great WrestleMania moment. Pat McAfee is maybe the greatest celebrity wrestler of all time from a single match standpoint. Mm -hmm. And he's going to have a match at WrestleMania. That's going to be really cool. Yep. It's a guy who, again, if you get these celebrities who love wrestling, it works. That's why Bad Bunny worked. That's why Pat McAfee has worked. And Pat McAfee has a massive audience. Again, he kind of broke the Aaron Rodgers news here. He has a massive following. This is the kind of celebrity partnership that can get more eyeballs on your product. We love Pat McAfee as a SmackDown commentator. I know know he's grading to some people, but generally... I really, really appreciate his enthusiasm and love for what he's doing. And that comes across and that came across there when he accepted the match. I'm very glad it's not Austin versus Pat McAfee. Uh, so, yeah. You mean McMahon, I mean McMahon versus McAfee. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. McMahon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not like, so like we didn't 
talk about it much, but the interview, there was a lot of ass kissing. There was a lot of kind of brushing past various Saudi Arabia issues that yes. we've had issues with on this podcast before. Yes. But, you know, you, you couldn't have expected McAvee go in there to grill him. That's that's not what he does. Pat is a, a lot of his- Pat's a football player who's putting on a yeah. really entertaining show. And by the way, he's damn good hosting that show. And he's yes. damn good in WWE. He is not a hard-hitting interviewer who's going to grill Vince or ask follow-up questions to some of the answers he gave, like I would or like a Dave Meltzer would or numerous other people who are fantastic interviewers. And I didn't mean to put myself in that category of, I'm just saying, it's okay. I'm just saying we, I'm just saying we would have asked follow-up questions because we, Very we come from a more journalistic mindset where if someone says something that catches us, we're going to ask them to clarify or expand on it. Pat wasn't doing that. He was rapid fire trying to get as many answers as he possibly could. And I didn't blame him for that, but there were numerous moments where I wished there was a follow-up. Yeah. And, and, and but and, and it, it was meant to be a comfortable setting he right. pushed him on a pushed him on a couple of things. He he you know he got the quote from Vince about you know maybe I didn't uh, maybe I put too much faith in my family essentially to to run this company after me. Yeah. And, and Pat Pat immediately goes, "Well, you just made some news right there, by the way. You just made some." Well, that's news. yeah. I was talking about that before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like he 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 knows he knows he can get some stuff out of Vince and knows how to make some news out of it. But uh, but that's a great it, point it, it, that when he yeah. said that that should have been like a ten minute conversation. Yes. In follow-up questions. Yep, you go, and, hey, you so know. what is your hey, what is your relationship with Shane right now? You know, exactly. It's a natural follow-up. Pat's not doing what, that. What's happening do- with Paul Levesque? Why haven't we seen him recently? Yeah, how is he doing how is he doing health-wise? You know, yeah. is Stephanie in position where she's the heir apparent right now? Yeah. He, you know. He's 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 a WWE employee. It's it's a friendly interview that it's just like the Aaron Rodgers stuff that he does. You get bits and pieces, you'd like more. But it's not like it's not like this person's interviewing with Pat McAfee instead of Dave Meltzer or, or something. Like right. That. So you got to take you right. got to take, take what uh, what you get. OK, so that is our extended main event, maybe the longest or among the longest main events in show history. Now, Chris does have a short window of time left. So what we're going to do, we're going to roll into the good, the bad and the ugly, because we need to keep talking about Pat McAfee and what may happen with him at WrestleMania. I'm going to hit the thing. We're going to go into it. Chris is going to join me. At some point, he'll drop out. But we still have plenty of show left as we talk about everything else that happened across SmackDown and Raw this week. I already said it. In the good, the bad, and the ugly. So on SmackDown, Austin Theory came down. He got some real heat from the crowd. Uh, he had a mic and he explained to McAfee, who was, of course was on commentary because it was SmackDown, that Vince set him up on his show and that Theory would get him to stop talking by breaking his jaw at WrestleMania. Theory said Vince chose him as the opponent and smacked McAfee's headset off. Theory then walked off taking selfies. McAfee stood on the announce table. He called him a little bitch and he got pretty big cheers from the crowd. I was kind of down on the setup because it was light on storyline. Like there's really not much to sink your teeth into on why Theory would be the one to fight McAfee. But McAfee grabbed a new headset and then he went on a rant that completely sold it to me. It's Is it a WrestleMania worthy storyline? No, but Theory is the perfect person to be fighting McAfee. He, he's an easy person that he can beat. He can get a huge pop. It can make news and everyone will go home happy. Yeah, this is the match we expected. I, I think I never expected Pat McAfee versus Vince. Right. This makes sense. Look, they, they like Austin Theory. We like Austin Theory. Um, and this is a 
this is a, a high profile, high attention type of match. It means a lot that they trust him in this spot with a guy who has only wrestled, I think, twice in his career. You, you know, you, you got to have a lot of faith in the people you do, just like they did with Miz and Morrison uh, with, with Bad Bunny last year. So it's a big spot for Austin Theory. Um, it's fine. It's, you know, I didn't expect anything really bigger than that. It's uh, it, it's fine. Austin Theory joined WWE like about two years ago or so. And he has main evented pay-per-view Elimination Chamber. He main evented the WWE Madison Square Garden show. And now he has a match on WrestleMania against an extremely high-profile celebrity. If that doesn't tell you that WWE believes in Austin Theory, I don't know what can. Okay, this guy, he is the next big thing. I mean, he is that guy that is going to be the equivalent of a John Cena type of dude. And, you know, a lot of people said that when he was coming up and Evolve before he yeah, did sign yeah. with NXT. And it's really apparent now. This was good on SmackDown. I, I forgot to say that. Chris, did you think it was good as well? Yes, good. Okay, so then on Raw, we had Finn Balor versus Austin Theory in a non-title match. And I didn't <laughs> like that they booked this because these are two guys who both should not lose before before WrestleMania. So Theory hit his rolling dropkick and neckbreaker over his knee for a couple near falls. Balor countered ATL with a sling blade, hit a shotgun dropkick, and was ready to hit the coup de grace when Damian Priest, wearing all black, appeared out of nowhere to grab Balor's throat, and he hung him off the top rope for a DQ. Then he hit the razor's edge and walked off staring at Balor. Theory hit ATL on Balor and took selfies to celebrate. Now, like I said, I didn't like the idea of this match at first because both these guys needed to win, and I was so worried that they gave Balor the United States Championship, and we're going to have him lose to Theory on the very next week. But this was one of the few occasions in WWE where I was 100% okay with the disqualification. WWE's done a great job cutting down on them recently, so it didn't bother me. Both guys got to look good in the match. Theory got a moment to build towards Mania. And it's cool that we got to see Damian Priest show a new side of himself. He Also, it's awesome that he gets to use the Razor's Edge as his finisher, given his idol in wrestling coming up with Scott Hall, Razor Ramon. And Hall was actually hospitalized last week. So all of this kind of fit together for me to be something I thought was good. And I just didn't have an issue with. Yeah, normally we wouldn't like this, you know, oh, who's going to lose? Oh, we're going to do a DQ to to move it on. But I like all the players involved. And I liked I like Damian Priest's new look. He looked a little bit different. He had a new way better look, new top on. His facial expressions were great. He didn't have bugging out eyes and that type of stuff again. So again, they're moving naming Priest back in the right direction. Great to see. It looks like, yeah, the Razor's Edge is, is maybe now his full-time finisher or something like that. So uh, yeah, normally we wouldn't give this a good, but under the circumstances, I'm, I'm giving it a good. And I did want to wrap up one more thing about the Raw Tag Team Division before we go on with the rest of this. So the Street Profits were told they and Alpha Academy also don't have spots on the WrestleMania card right now. Montez Ford said they just pinned RK Bro. He pinned Orton, the, the, the screw up two weeks ago. And should they should be the number one contenders while the Academy should head to the back of the line. Two weeks in a row, I thought the Profits absolutely crushed their promos. And it did kind of seem like the Profits will be on Mania, whether it's uh, a two-on-two match or whether it's a triple threat tag team match. I'm not sure, but it's great to have these guys back to normal. This was a very good promo. Yes, I, I have, you know, Street Profits have been just kind of down for a while, for a few months, really, just kind of not doing much. They had the the, the incident with, was it last week, where we thought they injured Randy Orton, they actually beat RK-Bro, uh, kind of on accident. Um, 
and again, they're another team like they are one of your most popular tag teams or should be and can be. They are. Yeah. So how do you kind of get them? But they should be on Mania somehow. So like I said, if, if it's a triple threat with them and RK Bro and Alpha Academy, I think that'd be a great spot. Yeah. So we'll see. But they got to be on the card. I, I, I don't want this. To, I don't want this to be a Friday night SmackDown. We're going to do a match. I know they're not on SmackDown, but right. But the go home wanna, raw. Yeah, I, agree. I don't want to see go home raw, go home SmackDown stuff on, on, on what should be a Mania match. I agree with that. Totally. Uh, so we had Edge who appeared under a black black light spotlight on the ramp. The lights were completely turned off in the arena. His music hit, but he didn't do his normal entrance. He wore all black and slowly walked to the ring with some weird black light filter that was on the camera. I think there was a mix of real boos and piped in boos because maybe fans didn't know whether they were supposed to boo him. It was actually a rare occasion I was okay with it because it enhanced the overall feeling of the of the segment. Um, Edge looked evil as hell. He said the concertos were to help AJ Styles become the best version of himself again, that bulldog character he was talking about. Edge said he's fallen in love with what he's become and finally feels in control, not just of himself in WWE, but the entire industry. He said he's standing on the mountain of omnipotence and the view is phenomenal. Then he said, um, and I said omnipotence, omnipotence is what I meant. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the view is phenomenal. Uh, then he, he stared into the camera as it zoomed into him and then eventually faded to black. Since Edge has returned, he has been an absolute promo machine. And he hit, I would call it a two-run homer with this one. I saw some people that didn't like it. And I think that's okay, but I found it to be fresh, different, and executed exceptionally. My only minor problem with this storyline is Styles got his head knocked off twice and WWE promoted it as a severe neck contusion. Why not give this guy a fractured jaw or something more serious? Yeah, or just assume, or just yeah. say he's so injured that he's out indefinitely and we don't know if he's going to come back or whether he's even going to make it to WrestleMania. That may be a nitpick, Chris, but other than that, this was a totally baller segment. Good. Yeah, I, I, my first thought was they really don't want to say he got a concussion. Right, and that's okay. <laughs> so, that's fine. So they're, so they're going to say neck contusion, which, fine. Again, like, I get it, but, like, it's just so weird that we're four weeks out from Mania now, and you just, you're not putting AJ Styles on your screen because you're, you're doing an injury thing right as his feud with Edge starts. I guess when he comes back, then there will be a lot of heat, and then you get into it. But, um that was my issue with it last week, but yeah, the black, the, the black light was really interesting. I love that the way they did the entrance because I'm, I'm like, are they going to do the edge music? Are they going to bring different music, brood music or something? And then the way they did it worked great. The black, like his eyes look super creepy. Yeah. Like, like, uh, look, just looked great. He's been killing it every week on the promos for what, two years now, since he came back, uh, just again, like you said, knocked out of the park. Everything is was, was certainly good here. Okay, so uh, this one, we don't need to grade. I just want to read it kind of or, or give you some notes going into the Intercontinental Championship match between Sami Zayn and Ricochet. But SmackDown opened with the old WWE Superstar style intro where all the people being featured on the show cut short promos to the camera, basically to promote the episode that you're about to see. They've done this before on Raw. All the mm -hmm. promos were taped, but they were pretty strong, including the one from Ricochet, which was important because he had a title match. If it wasn't for all the fake noise that they put behind them, I would say it's something they should do more often. And it made a regular edition of SmackDown feel like a big show. It took me even from someone who's saying, hey, I purposely didn't go to I kind of regretted not going because they made it seem like such a big show 
before we even got an in-ring segment or a match. And that energy that was created carried out throughout the entire show. I actually thought it was one of, if not the best SmackDowns of the year so far. It's been a short year, but SmackDown has been really bad, even though there were numerous down points during the episode. So let's just move right to this Intercontinental Championship match we got. Sami Zayn defending against Ricochet. Rick got a 2.9 count with a flipping pinning combination right after the bell. He was fired up as hell for this match. The crowd was fully behind him. He got a 2.8 after an inseguri, but Zayn got on top with a trap German suplex on the ring apron. Rick got another 2.8 after a hurricanrana off the ropes. Zayn caught him flying over the ropes with a sit-down powerbomb to the back of his neck for a near fall. He got two more 2.8 counts, including one after a standing tuck moonsault. Rick then did an insane springboard handstand backflip moonsault over the top rope. Zayn took Ricochet out again when Johnny Knoxville came down to tease Zayn. He was wearing a shirt that mocked him. Rick, for the third time, caught Zayn in a pinning combination, this time off of a hurricanrana, and he got the clean one, two, three to win the title in 10 minutes. Zayn threw a fit. He destroyed the backstage area before challenging Knoxville at WrestleMania. Johnny later cut an okay promo and accepted the match. It is so freaking easy to get a wrestler like Ricochet over. And you saw it play out from the second he entered through the end of this entire match. Michael Cole and Pat McAfee hyped him up the entire time they were in the ring. Ricochet impressed the fans right at the bell the entire time. The booking was fantastic, where they made it clear that Ricochet came close to beating Sammy so many times on his own that while Knoxville did distract and help push that WrestleMania feud, he wasn't the only reason that Ricochet won. That ensured the win wasn't cheap. And they gave the crowd reasons to invest in Ricochet with all of the near falls, plus the ultimate payoff of him winning the title. My only gripe was this was really short at 10 minutes. For a title match, it should always go about 15. Still, I gave this 3.75 stars and to be plus. But Chris, then you move past the match and you realize they also took the Intercontinental title out of the Mania match between Zayn and Knoxville as I prayed that they would. Ricochet also wore Eddie Guerrero tribute tights. He looked like a million bucks. And he also proved that he has a Kota Ibushi neck with some of the bumps he took. As I said, huge crowd response bell to bell. This was such a win that it might be the best presented thing WWE's done on SmackDown in all of 2022. It made Ricochet on the main roster more than anything they've done in his entire tenure. Will they keep the momentum going? I have no idea. But in this moment, this was better than good. It was great. Well, I'm not going to go that far on Ricochet. I know you're the you're the big Ricochet guy here, but yes, if you just let him do cool wrestling, he gets over. Like that that that's it's pretty simple. They had I, I don't know which one was better or, or, or whatnot, but and it was it was in the Thunderdome. But that series of matches he got to put on with with Morrison, I think one was the main event of a show one time. Um, yeah, like they've stopped and started him so many times because he just has not been a great promo. So. But I, get, I, I assume this means he's, he's going into WrestleMania as an Intercontinental champ. I could so, see Ricochet having a go-home SmackDown title match. I don't know right, that that's he'll what, be at WrestleMania. That's, that, that's what I was going to say, yeah. was that this seems like the maybe they end up doing it, the, the go-home SmackDown, Ricochet gets his match, which would really be a shame. Like, if you're going to give Ricochet the, the belt around WrestleMania season, just make him... Just put him on the card. We, we, we don't need the go-home SmackDown... L- 
stuff to to sell anything. Let, so, let me get you. Let me get you with one more thing here because I know you got to get yeah. in a second. WWE has now changed three of its titles in the last eight days, uh, and there's only four weeks left until Mania. I feel like this one telegraphed Knoxville beating Zayn in their match because you wouldn't want him to win the title. And because of that, taking the title off Sammy here was necessary. But for the other two, it seems like they wasted opportunities for big mania moments by just doing the changes on TV. RK Bro, we talked about. And of course, uh, Finn Balor winning the, the yeah. US championship last week. It's exciting when babyface challengers get their moments on a big stage. And retaining for me just isn't the same thing. So I'm wondering what you thought about that. Yeah, it is a little strange. I, giving Sami Zayn the title only for him to immediately lose it because he has to do a Johnny Knoxville match. Like, we didn't want Johnny Knoxville versus Sami Zayn for the IC title, so they're not doing that. I I, I kind of get Knoxville versus Sami Zayn because they have been feuding for a long time and because it is pretty good, but it's just it still feels weird to be a one-on-one mania match. If, if this was like 2001 and we knew that Johnny Knoxville was going to fall off the stage through a bunch of tables, like, that would be something we would look forward to at the time. But now, you know, he had, he had the brain injury while filming the last movie. Mm-hmm. It, it's, he's, he's generally largely retired from doing that stuff. I don't know what to expect. It's a little weird, but I don't hate it because he's getting big crowd reactions and he's, he's been good on the mic. It, it's been enjoyable with him and Zane. So I'm, I'm, all, I'm okay with it. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to run here. But uh, I, I agree with you, Chris. Right and yeah, no, go for it. I, I think that um, the match has been built pretty well and fans are giving Johnny a great reaction. I would love it if they actually came up with a stipulation for WrestleMania. Because right now, I don't think there's a single stipulation for any match. And if they were able to do Sami Zayn, Johnny Knoxville, last man standing or false count anywhere or something like that, it would create a way for Sammy to lose that can get excused. The other jackass guys coming down, uh, Preston Lacey, I don't even know if he's still part of that crew, but like sitting on Sammy so he can't get up for a last man standing thing. Like there are numerous things they can do if they are able to add a stipulation. I think one is absolutely needed here. So Chris did have to drop. I'm going to continue. We don't have too much left, but let's keep going with the good, the bad, and the ugly. On SmackDown, we have the SmackDown Tag Team titles on the line. The Usos defending against the Viking Raiders. The faces attacked after the bell. Ivar hit a cannonball off the apron outside and a huge splash for a fast near fall. Jey Uso saved the Viking experience. Uh, Ivar got run into a post and Eric ate a double spine buster. Jimmy hit a big super kick, but Ivar countered the Uso splash with double knees. The Raiders hit Viking experience, but Jay broke the fall. There was a two super kick near fall that Eric like reversed into a pinning combination for an exciting 2.9. The Usos then followed with 1D to get the win in eight minutes and 30 seconds. It wasn't necessarily the best match. It got the job done to end the feud. Given the Raiders waited so long for the match to actually happen, I, of course, wish it went longer. If you're putting the title match on TV, I said this earlier, especially if it's with a legitimate challenger and a clean finish, it should not be shorter than like 12 to 15 minutes. But everyone looks strong here. The Raiders got in a lot of action before ultimately falling. It was pretty good work all around. I'll say 3.25 stars and a B on Raw. Uh, Bianca Belair backstage said her only rule is not to touch her hair, but since Becky Lynch messed with it, she got what she deserved. Belair promised to walk out of WrestleMania as the Raw Women's Champion. Lynch tweeted before Raw that Belair injured or fractured her voice box at a live event, so she couldn't be on the show. And there's a report out there that she will be gone for two weeks total. So let's just be thankful that she'll be back next week or the week after. It's pretty clear that they're either going to ban the braid 
or put it on the line in the match. This wasn't much of anything, but I will say good. But what was, forget good, what was great is Becky cut this promo on social media after Raw. Listen to this. Well, I made it. I busted out of hospital and I made it to Cleveland just in time for the end of Raw. Now, it didn't matter that hours ago, Bianca Belair hit me as hard as she could in the throat, fracturing my voice box. Hitting me so hard that I was spitting blood all over the arena in Allentown. No, no, no. No, I made it here because I wanted to get my hands on Bianca Belair. And when she heard I was coming, she ran out of here. I asked around and they said she ran as fast as she possibly could. Didn't even take her bags. Now, you may be asking who they are. Well, they are from Cleveland, so I don't really care. Actually, it may have been this. Anyway, the point is... The point is, is that Bianca Belair has gone running scared, gone running with her little braid between her legs because because she's doing everything that she can to try and get an advantage on me. Last week, she beat my beautiful mom bod mercilessly with her braid, scarring me up. And this week, this week, she left me lying in a hospital bed. Well, what did you think, Bianca? You think I was just going to sit there? You think I was just going to play Wordle? You thought I was going to drink some soup, eat some ice cream and forget about this. Let you have your way. Let you run raw. No, 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 Bianca. That's not how this works. And now you have no idea the lengths I am willing to go to to keep that title on my shoulder. I have kept that title on my shoulder for three years. And nobody, nobody has been able to beat me for it. And so you can ask yourself if this woman who was spitting blood hours ago is willing to come to Raw to find me, what's she gonna do to keep the most important thing on her shoulder at WrestleMania? This woman cuts a better promo without a voice than any other female with a normal voice in professional wrestling history. This is like goat stuff we're getting from Becky. Um, you may not love that she's a heel. You may not love the storyline they've done with her since she's come back, but there is no question. She is still at the top of her game. And the way this promo was cut, like in the loading dock with her holding it, grabbing her voice. And obviously you can hear how injured she is. It was just exceptional stuff. So credit to her for that. On SmackDown, Ronda Rousey and Sonya Deville, uh, they had the, I believe it was the main event match on the show. Rousey got a ring introduction as if she was like a hall of famer or something. DeVille argued with Charles Robinson, and Charlotte Flair made her entrance before the bell. Rousey also wore a knee brace, selling the attack from last week. Rousey took DeVille down immediately, but Flair distracted so DeVille could take out the knee. Flair then went on commentary and criticized Rousey's armbar all match long. Rousey choked DeVille on the ropes and showed some new, like, low-impact moves. She did three nice arm drags in Piper's Pit before winning with the armbar submission in three minutes. Rousey and Flair talked trash after the bell. Flair stepped into the ring in stilettos, mind you, and Rousey flipped her over for a surprise ankle lock submission to show that she has more than one way to win, and Flair tapped out on the canvas. Now, I'm about to shit on a short women's match in a moment, but Rousey making quick work of DeVille, it made complete sense. She also got a really nice face reaction from the crowd from her entrance to end the show. The Flair bit was a bit clunky, 
but it all made sense together. The crowd seems into the feud, but for me, it just doesn't have a lot of heat, especially compared to Becky and Bianca. This was perfectly fine, and I'm going to say good, but I'm just not that excited about it for WrestleMania. And the other note is they're telling a story that Flair has never been submitted, which is just patently untrue. Becky Lynch has submitted her. Um, Sasha Banks has made her submit multiple times. Now, I guess technically Rousey had not before, but that's not what they had said. So I just wasn't totally fond of the way they put this together. On the same show, we had Naomi versus Carmella. Mella kept talking about her wedding. I guess she's engaged. Maybe that's something that happened on that YouTube show. I legitimately had no idea. And Queen Zelina rolled her eyes. Sasha Banks caught Zelina with a meteora into the steps outside. Naomi kicked Mella in the face a couple times and won with a split leg moonsault. And I am not exaggerating. In two minutes and 15 seconds. Uh, Natalia watched the match backstage. Why? I have no idea whatsoever. So they spent literally zero time efforting a storyline for a match and then gave them two minutes and 15 seconds to wrestle. I love Sasha. I love Naomi. But this entire thing from the beginning has been straight up ugly. Zero point zero. And then on Raw, we had Carmelo and Queen Zelina. By the way, the women's tag team champions against Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan. This was not a championship contenders match, but the stipulation was Ripley and Morgan would get added to the title fight at Mania with a win. So it was a championship contenders match. I guess maybe they stopped using the term. Uh, Ripley booted Mella while she had Vega in a vertical suplex. Ripley then ate a tornado DDT and got kicked into the stairs by Mella. Liv got the hot tag and dominated. When Zelina went for the tag, Mella was busy talking to Corey Graves. Liv hit a code breaker and Ripley added Riptide for the clean win in nine minutes. And Mella was still talking to Graves through the finish, not caring about the match. It was a decent enough way to get more women onto WrestleMania, I guess. But I don't know why you would do this so far out when there's four weeks left. They shouldn't have gotten this chance until they won a couple singles matches, uh, either against the champions or something along those lines. Maybe a match against like Nikki Ash and Dewdrop to get the opportunity. There's a 100% chance that we're going to get a title change at Mania here. But it's also strange that there's only going to be three women's matches on a two-night WrestleMania. Like I said, and like Chris talked about earlier, I would have loved to have seen Rhea Ripley versus Lita or Beth Phoenix or something as a way to get some other big time women's matches on the card and put Ripley over huge. This was good enough. It's just really not what I'm looking for from a WrestleMania match. Again, all the women in the match, I'm happy with them being on the show. But for me, it just doesn't really work. And there's no storyline to it, which kind of makes it even worse. Raw was in Cleveland. So we had Miz TV with Logan Paul and Jerry Lawler. Miz and Paul both got cheap pops being in their hometown of Cleveland. Miz got cheered. Paul got booed. Uh, Miz said, Rey Mysterio is a legend, but Dominic only got his contract because of his dad. Lawler was introduced. He got a massive pop. If you're wondering, he was born in Memphis, but he now lives in a suburb outside Cleveland. Uh, Lawler went hard for the cheap pops, even suggesting doing Mania in Cleveland. Miz said Cleveland wasn't good enough for Mania and noted how winners always leave the city. Paul argued with him, but Miz got his ass booed as they walked out. I actually thought it was a pretty solid segment. Nothing special, but thoroughly entertaining. Everyone did their parts well. And for Miz to kind of turn on his own city and get those boos and WWE to linger, it was just different than what they normally do. So I, I'm going to give it a good. And I was pretty uh, fond of the way they did. Uh, we had Big E versus Sheamus on SmackDown. The referee was distracted by Sheamus wanting to use his stick. Kofi Kingston started beeping the horn of the ATV when Ridge Holland attacked him with a chair and then began hitting the ATV with a chair because 
Again, I have no idea why they're so upset about the ATV. That distracted Big E, who took a beating from Sheamus before the heels roared off on the ATV. After commercial, the guys destroyed it with sledgehammers in the loading dock. Even Cole acknowledged that he had no idea why they were so upset. I just don't see the point in any of this. Big E was WWE champion just over two months ago, and now he's on a different show in a nonsensical mid-card tag team feud over an ATV. Sorry, that's ugly. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Happy Corbin and Mad Cat Moss were playing poker with some guys all dressed like douchebags. Corbin talked about being on the hottest winning streak of his career. Again, he is 3-0. and uh, Moss then did an impression of McIntyre. Everyone laughed hysterically. It was pretty cringy. So we had McIntyre versus Jinder Mahal. Short dominant win for Drew. He had all his signatures, avoided interference, and went with the Claymore. They had Kayla Braxton ask him after if the happy folks making fun of him bothered him. Uh, like, what is he, a child where he's worried about, like, words? Uh, you know, sticks and stones. McIntyre said he'll take out Corbin at Mania. Later, Corbin was playing darts when McIntyre stuck the dartboard with his sword. There was nothing wrong with the match with Mahal. Everything surrounding it was really corny and ridiculous. Again, this is not in any way a WrestleMania match. This is bullshit, man! This was bad. Tommaso Ciampa and Braun Breaker fought the Dirty Dogs on Raw. Braun was excited to make his Raw debut. Ciampa said they would beat the dogs again, this time on Raw. Braun also got a quick vignette to introduce him to the fans. Smart move doing that. Breaker hit a long-delayed vertical suplex on Robert Roode and did a kip-up. Braun hit some big moves on Dolph Ziggler, but didn't get much reaction. Braun ran into the ring post, then ate a zigzag, but Ciampa broke the fall. Braun caught Ziggler's superkick and hit a delayed press power slam, which is his finisher, to pin the former world champion in 10 minutes. Ziggler on the mic promised Champa would turn on him and that Ziggler would win the NXT title. It was unfortunate the crowd didn't get up for this because it was well wrestled and WWE did effort to put Breaker over. I hope enough people liked this so that they'll tune into NXT Roadblock because a triple threat should be a banger. I just didn't like that Braun beat Ziggler and they didn't even mention that this guy is a former world champion. It's a big deal when that happens. They did the same thing. We're going to talk about it later with another match, right? Actually, we're going to talk about it next. If there's a reason that you can put someone over, put them over. What's the point of not putting them over? But this was good. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, Omas fought Apollo Crews on Raw. Omas was in Gorilla, staring down at a camera, being interviewed by someone who was off camera. He asked how many people he has to dominate to get his WrestleMania moment. The whole thing was absurd. This went a few minutes before Omas won with a towering choke slam. He then stared at Commander Aziz a couple times. He did that during the match. After the bell, Omas stared him down in the ring and then left. The fans did kind of pop for it, which is weird because Aziz has been completely irrelevant in kayfabe. Commentary didn't even bother mentioning that Cruz has credentials. He's a multi-time champion, which at least would have made Omas's win seem impressive as opposed to him just beating a smaller guy. This sucked. And as I said last week, Omas is totally dead in the water. If they somehow think Omas Aziz is a mania match, I don't even know what to say. I have negative interest in that. If they figure out an Andre the Giant battle royal or something, and those two guys are the final two with Omas winning, I could accept that. But as far as what we got on TV, it was bad. It's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy. And then lastly, we had a 24-7 championship match. Dana Brooke against Tamina. Dana asked for a good luck kiss from Reggie before the match. He gave her one. Tazawa offered a good luck kiss to Tamina who planted a really hard one on him and slammed him into a garage door. Tamina immediately put Brooke in a Boston Crab, 
but she countered into a pinning combination for the win in 90 seconds. Tamina refused to kiss Tozawa after the bell. He gave her puppy dog eyes, so she blew him a kiss. Look, I know the 24-7 stuff isn't like actual wrestling to get upset about, but I think a regular women's match should be seven to 10 minutes. These should at least be four to five. Like let them actually wrestle or do a couple moves. Otherwise, it's just a waste of time that can be added and tacked on to something else. So yes, this of course was bad. And that is it uh, for this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We had a significant show talking about a ton of stuff going down in the world of WWE as we are now less than four weeks away from WrestleMania 38. The Silver King does have a lot of plans in store for you, especially when it comes to WWE over the next month heading into Mania. So please do not forget to stay tuned for all of those. I hope you all did not miss our AEW Revolution Instant Analysis podcast that is in our feed right now waiting for you. You should listen to that before Wednesday's next edition of Dynamite, which should be, by the way, uh, an exciting show. There's some stuff that's going to happen on that show that people should get excited about when they see it. Uh, But I want to tell you what's coming up here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Uh, There is an interview that I teased. I said I had a big announcement coming on today's show. I have not yet been able to confirm it at the time of taping, but I do expect it to happen. As long as it goes down, we will have that for you uh, this week. Huge interview. Very, very excited to get it done. I hope it comes down. But no matter what, on Thursday, we will have our next show talking all things AEW, the fallout from Revolution, and NXT Roadblock, a special episode of NXT taking place this Tuesday. And then, of course, we will be back next week talking all things WWE in our normal Tuesday spot. I appreciate all of you listening to the show. Please do not forget that getting over... So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leave that five-star rating on Apple, leave a review, tell people why they should listen to and subscribe to the show, and please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. That is it for today. I will see you on Thursday or possibly before, but at this point, the Silver King is just going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.